The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Jesus left the synagogue at Capernaum and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever, and immediately they told him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she served them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered together about the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him pursued him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is searching for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. This year, uh, 2015, marks the 30th anniversary of We Are the World by Michael Jackson and Lionel Richie. Do you remember the song? Um, we are the world. <laughs> I won't sing it. We, uh, we are the children. We are the ones who make a brighter day. So let's start giving. There's a choice we're making. We're saving our own lives. It's true we'll make a better day, just you and me. I, j- I watched the video uh, today uh, to reacquaint myself with it, and I'm just so impressed with the number of people they got, including Bob Dylan, um, to participate in filming the, the video and, and singing that song. But um, it's kind of actually the height of 1980s optimism, that song. Um, uh, you know, and you see the people singing it, and you're like, really? <laughs> they were the world? <laughs> you know, I mean... Um, all that's happened since then, the last 30 years, um, you know, it, it, it actually, you know, it lacks truth. Um, there's, um, uh, it just, uh, you know, we're not going to make the world a better place for the most part. Uh, we're, we're not the ones that are saving our own lives. And yet, those are the kinds of things that most people um, like to say. You know, I mean, people still love that song to this day because they want it to be true. Even five years ago for the 25th anniversary there was a, a remake uh, for it in response to the earthquake in, in Haiti. Um, and so the intention was good, and yet I think that the, the words, sorry, Michael Jackson, I love MJ. Um, I think the words, though, um, actually just don't ring true for me. But like I said, that uh, yet, that's the optimism that you hear uh, most people kind of saying in the world, and not just... Um, all people in, in, in the world, but especially even so in the Christian church. Um, there's a certain sense of um, sort of optimism about people and what we're capable of being and doing um, that is equally problematic. Uh, and there's a book that really speaks to this. If you haven't read 
Gerhard Ferdi's uh, On Being a Theologian of the Cross. Uh, don't read it before going to bed, by the way. Uh, it'll, it'll put you to sleep. It's, it's thin, but it's really uh, dense. If you haven't read it yet, I commend it to you if you're into that kind of thing. But like I said, it is, it is dense. And he, uh, On Being a Theologian of the Cross, he pits two types of kind of Christians, though... Um, uh, well, anyway, it's called on being a theologian of the cross, and he says that's really where the, the, the truth lies, is the theology of the cross. And yet most people, he pits the theologian of the cross against the theologian of glory. He says most people are default mode, even me, I'm a theologian of glory. And he has this to say about the theology of glory. And this is the one he says that's problematic. This is the, the, uh, the 1980s, we are the world... Uh, version of Christianity, um, and more so. He says, it operates on the assumption that uh, what we need is optimistic encouragement, some flattery, some positive thinking, some support to build our self-esteem. Theologically speaking, it operates on the assumption that we are not seriously addicted to sin, and that our improvement is both necessary and possible. We need a little boost in our desire to do good works. And so the theology of, the glo- of glory is uh, you just need a little extra something, a little oomph, a little caffeine for your spirituality. Um, and uh, one way that I've seen this play out most recently in my life, uh, even very recently, is with uh, this sort of a buzzword of transformation or transformational. Um, you'll hear tr- people talk about transformation in all manner of Christian settings across the ideological spectrum. And I really don't like reducing things to conservative and liberal, though you kind of know what I'm talking about, I hope. Um, And that is simplistic, but I'll still use it. On the conservative end, you'll hear transformational in terms of discipleship. Um, So that phrase, transformational discipleship, actually exists. And the concern there is about being. Um, and the emphasis is on getting people to change, how to get people to change in their innermost being. On the liberal end, um, or progressive, or the left, or whatever you want to say, to a greater or lesser extent, on the liberal end, uh, the question is more about how can the church transform the world? Um, and so the emphasis there is on acts of service, on doing. Uh, so transformation in terms of being or doing. Uh, and there's a theology of glory in a lot of this. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't hear me to say that changing as a person or doing acts of service is inherently a bad thing. Uh, it's just that often the, the talk about it is overly optimistic and sometimes, or a lot of the time, cart before the horse thinking um, and with very little gospel in it. Uh, and, and you'll hear... Uh, on both sides, people talking about inviting in or ushering in the kingdom of God, um, which I find to be problematic to talk about us doing that because God brings in the kingdom of God. He might use us as vehicles, um, but woe to us if we think that we could be the active ones that usher in the kingdom of God. Um, uh, God himself does that. Jesus Christ himself said the kingdom of God is here in your midst, because I'm here. Um, And so let me just finish up the paragraph that I started to read about the theology of glory to to speak to the sort of liberal and conservative um, spectrum that I just uh, lifted up for you. Of course, our 
theologian of glory may well grant that we need the help of grace. The only dispute usually will be about the degree of grace needed. If we are liberal, we will opt for less grace and tend to to define it as some kind of moral persuasion or spiritual encouragement. If we are more conservative and speak even of the depth of human sin, we will tend to escalate the degree of grace needed to the utmost. But the hallmark of a theology of glory is that it will always consider grace as something of a supplement to whatever is left of human will and power. And so grace uh, being just some help, um, a supplement, a boost on either side, uh, there's still optimism throughout um, that falls flat. And meanwhile, our scripture passages today tell a completely different tale. Just look at Simon's mother-in-law, sick with fever, lying on the bed, probably dying, uh, is made well only by outside intervention and not by her own ability to make herself well. Or think of Paul and what he says in the first letter to the Corinthians, that he himself has no grounds for boasting because of his own self, um, and that his, uh, his uh, ministry is based actually on his weakness um, and finding strength in God. Or Psalm 147 that we read today, uh, all the action, if you read that psalm, and all the strength is the Lord's. He rebuilds, he gathers, he heals, he binds up, he lifts up. Um, and furthermore, he's not impressed and has no pleasure in our strength. And often, if you read all of the Psalter, uh, you hear the word wicked repeated over and over again. The wicked are those who assume to have strength, is how the, the Psalter uh, describes it. Just look at Psalm 10. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not uh, seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Uh, meaning, basically, I can get this done on my own. Um, and so what, therefore, is the theology of the, cro- a theology of the cross? If all that I've talked about uh, in terms of this optimism or getting things done by our own strength, maybe just a little bit of help. If the, the truth lies in a theology of the cross, what is a theology of the cross? Let me give you Faraday's definition on the next page of that. Theologians of the cross, however, operate quite differently. They operate on the assumption that there must be, to use the language of treatment for addicts, a, quote, bottoming out, or a, quote, intervention. That is to say, there is no cure for the addict on his own. In theological terms, we must come to confess that we are addicted to sin, addicted to self, whatever form that may take, pious or impious. So theologians of the cross know that we can't be helped by optimistic appeals to glory, strength, wisdom, positive thinking, and so forth, because those things are themselves the problem. The truth must be spoken. To repeat Luther again, Martin Luther, uh, the thirst for glory or power or wisdom is never satisfied, even by the acquisition of it. We always want more, precisely so that we can declare independence from God. The thirst is for the absolute independence of self, and that is sin. All that he's saying here flies in the face of everything that's out there in the world. Um, It's so paradoxical. 
not just in Christianity, but I mean, just think of We Are the World with Michael Jackson and anything uh, else that exists to this day um, that's similar to it. And yet, uh, Paul said, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Well, what is the, quote, gospel? The gospel is the good news. It's the paradoxical message that acknowledges our weakness and our need. Uh, It recognizes, therefore, Jesus Christ and his cross and his resurrection is, in fact, our strength. It's the message for the exile, the brokenhearted, the wounded, the sick, the lowly, and the slave. And in the gospel passage that we have today, Jesus Christ tells his disciples, let's go on to the next town so that I might preach there. Well, did he go on to preach uh, there a message of, you know, be the change that you want to see in the world? Uh, That's what Gandhi said. Did he go on to these towns preaching a message of the more you talk about negative things in your life, the more you will call uh, call them in? Speak victory, not defeat. That's what Joel Osteen says, if you know who he is. Or did Jesus go on to the next towns preaching a message of, I challenge you to make your life a masterpiece, which is what Tony Robbins says. If you know who he is, he's the big self-help guru. Um, Or did he go on to these towns preaching a gospel of don't be afraid of failure, uh, follow your passions. That's what you hear at every single commencement speech in May. It's the same cliches that people are saying over and over again. Or even the message of uh, people love to quote St. Francis of Assisi who said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. And now I understand what I think St. Francis meant by that, but people love to use that phrase to abuse the idea of um, we should focus less on talking about Christianity and more on doing it. And the problem there, again, is on this false optimism that we can usher in the kingdom of God. Um, Did Jesus go into these towns preaching a message of we are the ones to make a brighter day? Um, No, that is not what he did, because Michael Jackson, for all that I love about him, was wrong in that song. Jesus preached a message of setting the weak captives free, that by his strength we are set free and not by ours. I don't, listen, I don't need transformation. I don't know about you. I don't need transformation. I need a rescue, I don't need optimism and encouragement. I need mercy. And for that matter, I don't need a sort of dialysis of my character. I need utter blood substitution. Uh, Let me just tell you one story uh, as I wrap things up here. Um, A little bit after, like within a month of being married to Holly, I threw my back out. And I was really young, which is, you know, I don't know where it came from. Uh, But if you've ever thrown your back out, you know what that's like. Um, There are probably worse things in the world, but this was really bad. I mean, I was basically incapacitated because of a muscle spasm. Uh, And here we are, newly married, about a month, a month and a half into our marriage. And I had to depend on the first couple of days, I had to depend utterly on Holly to put my clothes on, uh, to eat, Uh, for anything, even including going to the bathroom, (laughs) 
which was so embarrassing and did away with any sort of, uh, sort of facade that I might have had at the beginning of marriage <laughs> because I was made so completely vulnerable and helpless and utterly dependent upon her. Um, well, it's like that with the gospel. It's like that with our rescue, our salvation. As the psalmist tells us, God is, quote, not impressed by the might of a horse. He has no pleasure in the strength of a man, but the Lord has pleasure in those who fear him and those who await his gracious favor. Well, the waiting is actually over. His gracious favor came once for all already. His strength is for us, the weak. And this is the message of the cross. Amen.